this is the, the, the final phase of this economic era. The more acronyms, um, the bigger the crisis and the bigger the lie. Finally, we have the fundamental reason for gold and silver to go up. You know, a change to the monetary system may be, you know, uh, one of the ways we solve or we, we get out of this problem. They just pulled out the 2008 playbook and they're doing it on steroids. Stocks, bonds, property are going to go down 90% or more uh, in real terms, that is against gold in the next year or two. Even though the world finds itself in various states of lockdown, the wheels of the global economic machine continue to turn, albeit at an ever-slowing rate. In this series of conversations, I'm joined by some of the best and brightest minds it's been my pleasure to befriend over the last 35 years to try and gain some insight as to what we can expect the coming months to bring. Will equity and bond markets bounce back? Does a blizzard of multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages mean that central banks have finally reached the end of the road? And if so, what happens next? Is the world facing an even greater depression? Or is a return to the inflationary spiral our likely future? from markets to mortgages, from policy to politics, and everything in between. Please join me for the 2020 Humanar series. The sixth in my series of conversations brought together a group of friends and luminaries in the precious metals world to offer their thoughts on the recent supply chain disruptions, the strange activity in the futures markets, and the prospects for both precious metals and the mining stocks over the next several months. Simon Mikhailovich, Egon von Greyerts, David Ferguson, Ned Naylor Leyland, and Ronnie Sturfler are all dear friends of mine and have helped me improve my understanding of the precious metals arena in a multitude of ways over the years. So please welcome my friends on the gold panel. All right, full house, how about that? Gentlemen, welcome, thanks for doing this. Um, Thanks for getting up early or staying up late. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, so, so much to talk about. Uh, it's really difficult to figure out where to start. Um, so I, you know, I, think, I think for me, the thing that I'm, I'm curious to start with is, is just your views on the extraordinary actions that have been taken by the central banks in response to this pandemic. We've just seen the initial jobless numbers come out again, and immediately the Fed were on the tape. I've seen with another two and a half trillion to be thrown at this. Um, it, this is not going to stop for for any uh, in the near future. So I just want to get a couple of opinions on that. Um, Simon, you're in the middle of my screen. I'm going to start with you if I can. Gents, um, if if you could mute your mics um, when you're not talking, and um, as I said, just give me a give me a, a nudge if you. Um, if you want to add to any point, but I'll kick off with you some. Just a little bit of general thoughts about the economy and the actions of central banks and what that might mean for precious metals. Well, I mean, you have to you, you have to kind of think about it in terms of not just what's going on, but how people or uh, psychology of people going into the situation where it was. Uh, I'm talking about in regards to precious metals, because people who didn't see the problem. Uh, and by the problem, I mean people who didn't think we were in a bubble, in a financial bubble, uh, before uh, the virus, this virus crisis erupted. I don't think they still think. I don't think they're still in that uh, frame of mind. And when you look at the financial networks, I mean, you still see today, like people from BlackRock, oh well, all the stimulus, you know, so we're shopping for opportunities. In other words, right? So most people are thinking that this monetization is wonderful for stocks, and this is all wonderful. 
in reality, of course, is uh, the Venezuelan stock market has been the best performing stock market for years on end, if you look at the nominal numbers. And so it's possible that in the nominal numbers, uh, all of this is going to reflate uh, for some period of time uh, the, the, the bubble that's been ongoing. But for people who have uh, perceived the problem before, I mean, I guess what is going on is basically an uh, ex exogenous shock uh, on a immunocompromised financial system, if you want to, if you want to put it this way. Since we're in the virus mode, you can just say that this is a virus on somebody with the pre-existing conditions, and the pre-existing conditions for the global economy and for the global financial markets are, as we all know, excess uh, levels of debt, excess levels of leverage, uh, monetization of all kinds of assets over a prolonged period of time. Uh, you know, uh, ex multiple expansions, so in other words, asset inflation, because when a washing machine goes up in price without any commensurate increase in features or, or, or quality, we call it inflation. But when stocks go up in price without any visible uh, improvement in earnings or prospects, we call it multiple expansion, and we call it a stock, I mean, a bull market. I mean, what's the difference? It's asset, it's inflation, it's inflationary. And so I'm not surprised. I think a lot of uh, people in our sort of neck of the woods have been uh, projecting, calling, positing that whenever the next uh, break comes, we're going to see tremendous monetization uh, and a kitchen sink thrown uh, at the problem. What I find very interesting is that the lack of, I mean, I don't want to sound condescending, but the lack of wisdom on the part of the government. I mean, they just pulled out the 2008 playbook. And they're doing it on steroids. No reflection, no thought as to whether it actually worked on the real economy, as to whether it fixed anything, as to whether it created bigger problems. They just, it worked last time. They think, let's do it, let's do more. Like more should work better, right? Of course, the difference this time is that people are not scared about their financial future. They're scared to die. So this is a different, completely different driver. So to those who think like this is just a flash in the pan thing, I would just invite everybody to ask themselves, and don't take it from me or from any of the panelists, ask yourself a question. When are you going to be comfortable mixing with the crowds, going to restaurants, and resuming your normal spending patterns in two weeks, in three weeks, or is it going to be some time? Uh, at what point? And so if you posit that, that some percentage of the population is just sufficiently disturbed uh, not financially, not just financially, which of course is a whole, you know, it's definitely going to be a problem. But uh, just in terms of personal discomfort, you know, for your own health, I think that holds a lot of answers as to how fast this recovery or this bounce that everybody thinks is going to happen uh, is not going to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. And of course, <clears throat> you know, it, now with precious metals, you know, precious metals until now have been traded. Uh, on the thinking, oh, inflation is coming, no inflation is coming, real interest rates, the Fed is doing this, the Fed is doing that. To me, the biggest question about precious metals here, and should have been all along, is that precious metals don't have risk of impairment. They don't have a risk of permanent impairment, whereas every financial asset has it in Trumps. And with, we've just no, no allusion to the president. Uh, and, so, and so what we've just seen, the, the, the swoosh, uh, the sucking sound that we've seen in the markets and the economic sucking sound hasn't yet gotten to everybody's consciousness yet, but I think it no, will yeah, in the no, next few right. weeks, right? Yeah, um, I think so. Right. That's where, 
you know, uh, the mindset of worrying about return on your money versus worrying about return of your money, which is just a different way of saying impairment versus, you know, greed versus fear. I think that's where precious metals are. But I would say that from my, from my vantage point, and, and I would welcome other panelists to, to see what they're seeing, I'm not seeing a lot of people who did not see the problem, uh, the fundamental problems with the economy and the financial system before, uh, all of a sudden their eyes open uh, on precious metals and rushing into it. Most of the people I talk to either have already spoken to me before or tell me that they own precious metals, have interest. It's, it's kind of mobilized and crystallized in the minds of people who were interested in it in the first place. This action is crystallizing their interest and, and spurring them maybe to action. Was not let, necessarily... let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me bring Egon in, because Egon, this is something you've been talking about and writing about for, for a long time now. I mean, obviously, the, 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 the catalyst was unexpected um, in many ways. Um, your thoughts on, on what's happening now from a policy response standpoint and how that affects the metals? Yeah, as you know, I'm a long-term thinker and planner, so this is not a shock to me what happened now. I mean, we've been preparing for it for, let's say, 20 years. That's 20 years ago. Uh, that's when we started with gold in, in a major way, first for ourselves and then for, for helping other people. And, you know, the, the fact that uh, then 2006 to nine, the world, the financial system didn't go under was more luck than anything else. Uh, but uh, as I have discussed and we've talked about many times that that was a rehearsal. It had to come. It took longer than all of us expected, uh, but we're there now. Uh, and you know, to me, the, the, the big warning sign was uh, for this, what's happening now, was back in August, September, when first um, the ECB and then the Fed said, <clears throat> we will do whatever it takes. And to me, that was clear. That is the signal. That signal was as important to me as when Nixon closed the, the uh, gold window in, um, um, in 1971. So it was clear to me, now we have the final phase of this unlimited money printing and what I uh, think is a very high risk, the, the fall or the implosion of the financial system as we know it today. Um, and sadly, as you said before, the, the catalyst was the most horrible catalyst that the world could ever have got. But that's that's sod's law, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's when when things are bad, they turn really bad. So we had a, a, a most horrible disease that that uh, was the catalyst. But you know, that it was the catalyst and not the cause. And this is what most of the world doesn't understand today, that they think that, you know, whenever coronavirus cases go down a bit, like in the US, stock market goes up and, you know, we can buy the dip and we go on the way back now. But that's not the case. I mean, central banks now are printing unlimited amounts of money. The Bank of England just said that they will not, they now will lend money directly to the government. They're not even going to try to print money or, or, or uh, they're not even going to, to um, borrow money or, uh, and monetize it. They're just going to directly you know, go into the market and lend to the government. And they have a facility called the, 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 way, the, means, the Ways and Means Facility, I think it's called, which is basically that they can lend unlimited amounts to the UK government and they will need it because they were already spending a lot before this started and now and that's just one government it's the same in the US we're now into the phase of unlimited money printing um, uh, and spending and uh, whether the, the virus ends in, in uh, a few weeks or a few months will make no difference 
sadly, this is the, the, the final phase of this economic era. And, and therefore, obviously, as we all know on this panel, because that's what we're all about, that uh, gold is the consequence of government's uh, irresponsible management of the economy and printing money and debasing currencies. And this money printing that's starting now is going to be the biggest ever in, in uh, global history. Uh, and it's going to be unlimited. And I think also at some point, not only the 265 trillion debt in the world will blow up but, or implode, uh, but also the derivatives, because the derivatives are interest-based, for example. Most of the derivatives are based on interest. Interest is going to go up dramatically. Central banks will lose control of them. And central banks will then have to start also to cover those uh, derivatives. And, and we're, not, we're talking about probably two quadrillion in derivatives, the real figure probably. So, so Sadly, we're going into a, a very, very difficult times for, for people in the world. Very, very few, as we know here, there are we, people who are involved with gold. Very, very few people are covering themselves with insurance in the form of gold, which is obviously uh, throughout history has been the, the best way to insure your wealth. Uh, so we have the whatever, you know, around half a percent of world financial assets are in gold. And, and most people would discover it too late. We have, we, we've seen a good demand now, I must say that, but still it is minuscule compared to uh, what actually all the assets uh, that sadly are going to now implode by percentages of, you know, I think stocks, bonds, property are going to go down 90% or more uh, in real terms that is against gold in the next year or two. But so, I mean, look, look, this, this, uh, this, 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 time we're in now is just there's dislocations everywhere whether it's in the equity markets the bond markets we're seeing you know some of the the charts and graphs that i'm seeing are just you know you can't even get your head around how wild they are david and ned um david i'll come to you first the the one of the dislocations in the gold market has been between uh physical and the front month futures contract can, I, can seen... I just sort of can i just go back and address yeah no please please so... please yeah absolutely look i mean I think one of the questions that I, I've seen up here is what other choice does the Fed and the government have? I mean, I think we're in a very practical situation at the moment. Um, to me, the world is facing a medical problem, um, obviously. We're, the medical problem has, has, has caused pretty immediately a financial problem. And the economic problem will fall out the back of, of that. So the, the reality of it is that I don't, I don't frankly see policymakers have an awful lot of choice at the moment, right? I mean, ultimately, we, no one knows how long, how long this medical problem is going to last. I mean, it could be over in six weeks. We could have a, a mirac miraculous cure with remdesivir and various other things. I mean, it, that could happen quite fast. The financial shock, they are trying to stop from happening. And I, and I understand that. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the worst thing that could happen for us right now is for another Lehman Brothers situation to, to happen. I mean, that, that would make matters just much worse. So I, I, can, I can kind of understand why they are flushing cash through the system, because for certain, it's not going to cause inflation just yet. And, uh, uh, you know, we have, we've got to get through this, this situation. And the real question is not the, the medical one or the financial one, but how do we address the economic one at the end of it? And I think there are some interesting approaches that, 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 uh, that, could, that could take place there. I don't think it's necessarily a, a disaster, frankly. Now, I don't think we can, we can 
I don't think we can make these changes to, to the economic system without making radical changes to the monetary system, but that, that's, right. that's another matter. So. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely right. Well, l l I just want to come back to you. I'll, I'll stick with you for a minute if I can, because you and I have, have spoken about this, but the, this, this, this premium spike in the futures contract versus the physical, there's been all kinds of you know suppositions about what's been going on. Obviously, the, the paper versus physical market has been kind of ground zero for conspiracy theorists and all kinds of stuff over the years. But I read a, I read a, a great stat this morning from, um, from Bullion Star on Twitter, um, and it was retweeted by Craig Hemke, uh, saying that in March, the LBA traded 1.04 billion ounces of gold, uh, which is 32,500 metric tons which is, if you annualize it, it's uh, basically 138 years of mine supply running through the futures market uh, in March. Um, what was your take on that sudden premium spike? Um, any conversations you've had that can throw some light on it? Because a lot of people are confused about A, why it happened, and B, what it means. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand why there would be a dislocation between the physical market and the futures market during times of crisis. But what I can't explain is why it went the wrong way. Right. It, it, clearly, to me, what should have happened is that the futures price should have collapsed and the physical price should have stayed very high. I mean, I, I, again, we can see the creation of regional markets and, and certainly the, the, the absence of, of the, the usual arbitrage mechanism between the refineries and you know the 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 uh, sort of secure delivery people, the secure logistics people, you know, keep that in check ordinarily, right? Because you know you just would never expect there to be a big difference between a, a North American, you know, physical delivery futures market and you know a, a UK price. It should never really emerge because you just deliver on you know just deliver on the contract. Should that should that be the case? But should 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 the premium go, go out to a hundred dollars? That is extraordinary because we saw we, we've certainly seen differences in prices between Singapore and and and, uh, and the LBMA price. I mean, it's been you know I mean it's, yes the spreads have widened generally, and we're seeing ten to fifteen dollars on certain categories of products going into the price. I mean that. We're seeing that, and I can you can sort of see ten to fifteen dollars as being part of this dislocation, right? The, the fact that you can't deliver, the fact that you can't recast bars, I can see that. But a hundred, I can't explain, and I can't explain why the, the futures market was higher. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, Ned, I mean, you, I know this is something that that you've looked at as well. Can you? I mean, can you cast any light on this? Because I've been I've been fishing around trying to get you know a, 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 an answer that completely satisfies me and I haven't found one yet. Well, I mean, I definitely can't help with that, but I can, I can give you my thoughts. Um, well, something I've heard is that, um, that you can't, there's, there's no ability to, to move any metal in size from vaults in London. So some um, larger wholesale buyers are able to buy metal in London in size, but they can't, they can't get it out of any, any, anywhere. And I suppose the, the, um, the idea that you're able to take delivery through COMEX would um, potentially drive uh, large buyers who want to do that across there. But I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It's certainly pretty mysterious. I think that the fact that the, the LBMA banks 
um, and their and their proxies and their mouthpieces have been so noisy in the last week saying it's absolutely fine. I mean, every day there's a new sort of very lame um, attempt to tell everybody to back off. You know, it really does remind me of the, the manager's job is safe sort of line. Um, but look, ultimately, this is something I, I spent a lot of time looking at more like 10 years ago. And as you know, now I'm, I'm, my focus is more in, in, in mining companies. Um, but it's no smoke without fire. There's definitely a problem. And I don't think that, that the, I don't think that the, um, the retail market will clear for many months. And I, I'm not sure the wholesale market will either. So it's all pretty interesting one way or the other, Grant. Well, this is, I mean, this is basically where I came down to. I mean, I go back to the TED spread pre-08, uh, pre which blew out. And only people that kind of were in that world were really talking about it being a problem. We saw the repos back last year in September, October, which were really the first sign of this. You know, I, I, I don't know what's going on, but it seems to me that the very fact that something like this can happen means it's something we need to keep an eye on because it, it, it suggests there's trouble somewhere. I don't know what it means, but there's a dislocation there that, that, that um, perhaps is worth paying attention to. Um, Ronnie, you've been sitting very patiently there. Uh, uh, and David mentioned something there, which I want to come to you on if I can. And that was the talk of um, there not being any any inflation for the foreseeable future until we get through this deflationary shock, which is kind of how I see it too. But I know you've done a hell of a lot of work on on this, uh, and I'd love your thoughts on where we are in the deflation versus inflation. Do we expect inflation, stagflation? What are your indicators telling you? Uh, well, uh, yesterday we had a we had an advisory board call with uh, Rick Ruland and Jim Ricketts, and we we mainly talked about uh, inflation and, and 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 how we could actually um, really get into inflation a system. And obviously, such a such a shock as we're seeing it now is highly deflationary. I mean, it's not only one shock; it's a demand shock, it's a supply shock, it's an oil shock, it's a dollar shock. Um, it's a wealth shock. I mean, I don't know, 18 trillion were just wiped out. So it's, it's, it's really a number of shocks. And if you, if you have a look at um, broader monetary aggregates, credit growth and so on, of course it's collapsing. But we shouldn't forget that within our system, deflation cannot be allowed. So it's, 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 it's absolutely obvious that in our monetary system, in, in, in our debt situation, um, deflation is the worst enemy of, of central bankers and politicians. So um, we, we've got one fabulous chart um, since 1785 until 1913. You had on average, I think uh, in 48 percent of all years you had deflation and in 52 percent of the years you had inflation so it basically was um was was changing um since 1913 you only had uh in 13 percent of all years you had deflation and since 1971 only for a couple of months in 2008 we had slight deflation so it is, of course, from a systemic point of view, they have to print whatever it takes to get out of this deflationary spiral. And that's what they're actually doing. I mean, um, the more acronyms, um, the bigger the crisis and the bigger the lie. Uh, I, I got no idea what, what, what kind of programs they have implemented in the last couple of days, but it, it feels like they're panicking. And we shouldn't forget that at the moment we're seeing 
much more, um, let's say, cooperation between um, quantitative easing and all those monetary programs and fiscal stimulus. And you probably read the, the, this article by Jim Bianco, where he basically analyzed that all the programs uh, that, that were introduced, the Federal Reserve is basically just, just the banker. I think um, BlackRock is kind of the, the broker for, the, for those SPVs and the Treasury is kind of investing and taking the first loss. So I think this connection between fiscal and monetary stimulus is, it is a bit MMT-like, I, I, I would like to say. And if you have a look at inflation expectations, because this is really something that we're focusing on, inflation expectations collapsed. And then um, suddenly, basically, when, 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 when they said, okay, we're all in now, and uh, that was the moment when, when gold made its lows, uh, when the gold-silver ratio made its highs, and when actually inflation expectations went up again. So from my point of view, the money is already printed. And as soon as everything opens up again, and it, it can take... Uh, it, it can take months, but it can only t also take a couple of weeks if, if they should find uh, a cure or, 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 or vaccine, whatever. Um, I think this can open up pretty quickly. And then if velocity rises again, then I think that's a perfect storm for inflation. Actually, there will be massive inflation in certain parts of, 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 our, of, our, of the economy. But I think that many, many areas will just suffer. I don't think that people for the next couple of quarters that they will enjoy going to a, to a shopping mall. I mean, I hate going to shopping malls. I, I, I don't think that people will enjoy doing business traveling uh, and want to sit in a, in a full plane. So I think it's going to be um, medium to long term. It's, gone, it's clearly going to be stagflationary. So Simon, I see you nodding away there. Anything to add? Uh, you have to unmute your mic. Sorry, matey. We can't hear you. Okay, here there we go. go. No, a couple of comments. One is I wanted to amplify what Egon said about when this crisis started. Yeah, people think it started in, in the spring. No, actually, as he correctly pointed out, it started in September with a, with a bust in the, um, uh, in the repo market. Uh, and uh, as you recall, you know, they, they started with 30 billion and then 60 billion and 50 billion and then got to 100 billion. And the Fed has never, and no one on Wall Street, nobody on, in the mainstream media has ever properly explained what is going on there. And that, that situation continued to simmer under the surface until it exploded into a trillion dollar repo facilities. <clears throat> so I think it's important to understand that even though this is an exogenous shock, this is not the beginning of the crisis. I think the crisis, just like the uh, Lehman quote unquote crisis started a year and a half earlier, it's the same thing here. It's, it's been going on. The other thing I wanted to, uh, I wanted to say is I, I wanted just to, um, we're talking about all this money printing and it's very sterile notion to us because we don't see the money. It's all electronic. But when I was, um, uh, when I saw you, Ronnie, whatever it was, uh, last October, and I also met with uh, Ronnie's partner, Mark, and he gave me wonderful presents, two presents, which I would like to show you because I think it's a very vivid representation of what we are not seeing today. And so what Mark gave me, he collects banknotes. So this is a beautiful 100 mark uh, bill. And take my word for it, it's on very nice thick paper. Uh, you can feel the engraving on it. Uh, this was printed in 1908 by the German Central Bank. This is a, uh, what is it, uh, one billion. 
This is one billion marks. Um, you can see it's not nearly as pretty as this. You can, but I'll tell you what, look at this. It's got nothing on the back. And the point that, and the paper is thin and the print and there's no engraving. The point that I'm making is that in the physical world, everybody would perceive immediately that there's something going on. Because in the real world, you run out of ink, you run out of good paper, you can't, you can't use engraving machines because it takes time. And so the debasement of money is palpable and visible. In the electronic world, it's not palpable and not visible. It doesn't mean it's not happening. We're just not seeing, we're not connecting what is going on with any physical representation, tangible representation that speaks to us and sends a signal to the majority of the people what's actually going on, that money's being trashed. So I thought, I thought it was important to kind of uh, make those points. And the final point is that one of the explanations that I've heard for what's going on with why futures are trading above spot is simply um, a combination of lack of credit, lack of liquidity, uh, and the, uh, the oper the, essentially the shorting of the futures versus the hedging, in other words. When in, in, the, in the physical market, they, they short, they use the futures to short in order to offset their position. In other words, in order to, uh, uh, to balance the trade. So because dealers don't want to take positions, refiners don't want to take positions. Uh, somebody was asking me yesterday, actually, like why are refiners not charging more for the gold if it's hard to get? And my answer was they're not in the gold business. They're in the refining business, just like oil refineries are not in the oil business. They're in the refining business. They make money, they charge whatever a tolling charge to process the material. And yes, those premiums are up sixfold in the last two weeks, sixfold. Um, but they're not, because they don't really sell quote unquote gold, they just pass it through their facility. They need, they need to hedge it. And the way you hedge it is you're long physical and you're short the futures. And so the case to, so there were too many short futures and then they got squeezed. And that's one of the reasons that the futures price is going up whilst the physical price is not going up. And the other one, of course, is they're having problem with deliverables. In the COMEX, there's, no, there's not enough gold to deliver and that's for uh, logistics purposes and they have the wrong kind of bars. Uh, and so there's a massive reprocessing worldwide uh, going on wherever they can find. So that's the other explanation I heard for what's going on in the, uh, so, in the future versus spot. But yeah, Simon, I'm going to come to you. Yeah, but, but Simon, if that, if that was the case, if the refiners were, were typically uh, long physical and short futures, then as the, as the market closed down, then one of them should have gone bankrupt. Well, the, we don't know who's supporting whom. I mean, I mean, I'd say, we, we, you know, that's, that's the explanation. But it would make sense that there would be a squeeze, a short squeeze on the, on the COMEX, which is just a paper squeeze, and there's no credit to close the gap. That's the other thing. I mean, this, I've made this example before. This happened in 2008 with credit default swaps on high-yield bonds versus cash bonds. Because of the liquidity, one, one market went one way, and the other market didn't go that way, even though... Essentially, they're the same thing. A swap is a, is a default protection on the underlying bond. So you would think that they would be moving together. But there are different players in these markets with different objectives and different liquidity issues. And so suddenly, when somebody needs to either close positions or set up positions, uh, and there's no arbitrageurs with sufficient capital to close the gap, and no credit to get enough capital to close the gap, then the jaws open up and they can stay open for some period of time.
David, let, let me let me stick with you. So just coming to you anyway. I, I, you know, I've I've long been of the opinion that um, it, it takes a lot for people to wake up to this because you know we all understand the gold market. We understand gold's role as a monetary asset, um, but most people don't look at it. They don't think of it that way. It's a price on a screen, whatever it is. And and it's not until you actually understand it that it makes that it makes sense to you. <clears throat> so. What do you think it takes for more people to understand the role gold has to play in this particular crisis and potentially going forward, given the fact that it looks like we are going to have some kind of reset? And Ned, I will come to you also. Honestly, I, I'm at the, the point where I, I don't think... I don't think people will ever change their mind um, on a on a broad basis um, as to the role of the role of gold um, within the financial system. I think most people view it as in the past, and I don't see that changing, frankly. Now, I think I mean gold is a. I mean, I, I agree, gold is a monetary asset, and and you know we've obviously seen a a, a doubling of of, of, of narrow money. Um, in the last decade, um, you know, as to Ronnie's point earlier, you know, we've seen that happen at the same time as, as broad money has, has narrow as uh, has slowed or has, has, has contracted. The velocity of money has contracted very dramatically, and if it if it if it sort of reverses itself, then you might have a, a very large inflationary shock within the system. I think that might cause people to have a look at the overall monetary system. I think the the model that I talked about earlier, the medical to financial to economic problems, again, might cause people to have a, a relook at the monetary system, um, and you know, a change to the monetary system may be, you know, uh, one of the ways we solve or we, we get out of this problem. So a new Bretton Woods type agreement. But do I think that gold will will be adopted back into the, the monetary system? I think that's that's unlikely unless. You know, it happens as a result of someone making a, or a particular country making an aggressive move um, outside a global, you know, monetary hegemony, like China just deciding one day, you know what, we, we, we've, we've had enough of these, these, uh, these dollar bills, you know what, we, we don't want them anymore, we'll, we'll just lift all the gold in the, in the, in the global markets, get rid of our dollars and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to back our currency with gold from this point on. And, you know, via con Dios to, to the, to the U S monetary system. And then a new monetary system emerges from it with gold as part of it. But unless something like that happens, I can't see gold as being overtly part of a new monetary system. Just, well, what about Egon? E Egon, coming to you, are, are people waking up at the margin? And, and the, you know, we've seen interest in gold pick up. I know talking to you guys, you've seen interest. But to Simon's point earlier, it's it's not new interest. It's interest from people who've been looking at this for a while and have now decided, now they understand it, they should perhaps pull the trigger and own some gold. Are you seeing anything different to that? No, that's exactly what we're seeing. New, but there is a lot more buying and bigger amounts also. Uh, you know, we, we managed to, to actually find supply the whole time during the close, closure of the refiners and we had major buying during that time and still. So that is clearly, but these are still people, as you say, who are, have been looking at gold for, for a long time. 
But, but so, so um, there are not any uh, converts at this point, but let's just uh, remember that gold um, or, or hyperinflation, which I am absolutely convinced we're going to see, or hyperinflationary depression, hyperinflation is a currency event. That is, hyperinflation rises as a, as a result of money printing. And that's what we're going to see next. So it's collapsing currencies as a result of this massive money printing. That is what's going to create hyperinflation. Uh, and, and not demand for products or whatever, because there is no, there is no demand, of course, for us. It's the currencies collapsing. Uh, and that's why we're going to see uh, hyperinflation or currency or and currencies debasing and that I think will lead to a lot more buying and interest in gold not just from individuals who realize that their assets are now going down at a very fast rate of speed um, uh, but also that uh, institutions uh, will so start thinking about we've got to inflation hedge our assets so I, I think there will be massive gold buying coming in the next uh, six months or 12 months. It'll take some time. Uh, and uh, But nevertheless, I see a change there in the market and, and in the thinking. Now, of course, then there won't be enough gold. So if an institution wants for 100 million or, or a billion or whatever is uh, uh, gold, uh, they're not going to get it at uh, $1,600. They're going to get it at maybe $5,000 or, 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 or $15,000. Uh, but um, they will still allocate part of their portfolios. And if they allocate only 2% of the portfolio, one and a half, that's going to be more than the gold market can take, of course. You know, coming back, just one comment on the gold market. Um, the, the, as you mentioned, the, the, the daily turnover on the LBMA, the gross turnover is 280 billion on an annual basis. That's the daily, that's twice as much as the S&P market. And remember, there's only, so 280 billion annual turnover against 150 billion mine production every year. So, so, so you've got 280 for, for, for a day against 150 produced in a year. That means there, there, there is a total uh, unbalance or disequilibrium in the gold market. And I think what's happening is that between the COMEX and the LBMA, they're fighting on a daily basis to cover positions and shuffling gold and futures back and forth, back and forth. Uh, because there is a massive physical shortage um, and central banks haven't got a fraction of the gold they have. So all of that, so of course, will put enormous pressure on the physical price and that will that is not far away in my view. Uh, so we have many factors, uh, hyperinflation or, or currency debasement plus supply and demand that will make the gold price shoot up uh, dramatically in, in the next few months and year, years. Okay. Um, Ned, I'm glad you came back. You dropped off, and I was coming to you next. So I want to talk about the the miners. Obviously, this is this is where you focus now, um, and the miners have been, as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, the place where money goes to die for such a long time. Um, has that changed? If so, you know, what do you expect to see out of the miners? What what does it need? For them? I mean, they've started to be acting better, but talk a little bit about how you see the mining stocks right now and what your outlook is. Um, well, first of all, I would, I would say that your presentation cry wolf. So, so, um, I think that this is very relevant at the moment, Grant. not that I want to, you know, compliment you, but, um, but actually I, I do think there is an enormous relevance to that right now. 
which is which is I'm seeing this personally and I'm seeing it on a more on a broader basis, which is that people people are actually saying, oh yeah, well, you know, you you've been saying this forever. Um when you know the truck's now a foot and a half away rather than a mile and a half away. And people are going through a strange moment at the moment where things are becoming really obvious. Um but but equally I'm not sure I agree with the, I mean, one thing I definitely agree with is what Simon said at the beginning, which is that the most um, institutional investors, certainly my colleagues running money, let's say in UK equity portfolios, zero allocation to gold and silver miners, despite the fact that um, over the next two, three quarters, they're clearly going to see that some of these companies are doing well and the companies they're holding are doing badly. So I see that as very exciting. Because I think that where we are is we've had a very, very long crywolf period. I think that gold miners are crywolf cubed, um, if you like. You know, it's a sort of <laughs> ultimate waiting for Godot investment. Um, I mean, really, of course, gold miners, we've discussed before, Grant, are, are call options. You know, they degrade, uh, they have a time decay component to them because input cost inflation in mining is not the same as the, the inflation data that we were discussing earlier. Um, so they have this time decay component, but they are really exciting at the moment. And the reason is very simple, which is finally, we have the fundamental reason for gold and silver to go up, which is, in my opinion, still uh, real interest rates until the physical market breaks the paper market. It's, it's real rates. I think, I think people get confused about, the, there are other things that are very marginal, but they're very marginal. It's a real rates, just a driven thing because gold and silver have been fractionalized. Um, you know, 30 years ago that was. So until that breaks, it's real rates driven. Now, the fundamentals there are very good for gold and silver. They're going to go higher. But more important than that, costs are falling. First time ever, you have that, that double whammy where you can actually deliver earnings expansion, margin expansion, because you've got, you know, think of an Aussie dollar gold stock. Aussie dollar gold is what, 25% higher now than it was at Christmas? And you've got the energy input falling as well. So what I mean is they pay their workers in, in Aussie and they're, and they're selling gold in dollars. And we then, over the next two quarters, you'll see the, the energy component of this feed through too. So the two major input costs are falling hard unless you're, you buy Barrick, which, of course, you know, we don't own it. Uh, it's, been, it's done very well. But, um, you know, it's over 50% of its production is in Nevada. So they're paying their workers in dollars. So if you, if you go for non-US based gold and silver mines, silver mines are even better. And the reason is simply because they have more operational gearing. They're a bit hairier, as people will know. Um, but they're an even better way to drive attribution. Now, the, the real key part of this story, that the reason why you should all be feeling quite comfortable about this, and I, and I meet a lot of, I'm lucky in my job, I meet a lot of institutional investors all around the world. They're all, they're all and excuse me if any of you are out there, massive sheep. Um, and, and when they see the evidence on the screen, so not cry wolf, but the wolf there biting their ankles, as in these things are doing well and those things are doing badly, then it's on and it will just happen. And, and I do think, and it will all just unravel. And I think it will all happen. And, and all those things we've been waiting for are very, very close now. The first step is getting earnings season out of the way, the one that's coming, both for the broader economy and, and our stocks. And I, I'm super excited. I think it all looks, it, it's all sort of almost too good to be true on that basis, really. Simon, I see you, I see you waving a finger at me there. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to add to what, what Ned is saying and tie it to the uh, gold price and what David was saying about uh, the mystery of, 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 of how um, the paper market is trading above the physical and not the other way around. I think the way we're going to see this market break is when institutional money comes into gold. Because at the moment, I mean, think about it. If gold miners, and we know that the gold miners are not in the gold business. They're in the natural resource extraction business. They don't take position on gold. They basically extract it and they sell it at whatever prevailing prices or worse, they hedge it, right? So they're basically also in the tolling business. Here's the commodity, we extract it, we sell it. The refiners are not positioning gold. They're in the tolling business. So where does it really, where does this pressure then to charge more because of the scarcity come from? I think where that's gonna happen is when sufficient volume uh, of demand will exceed annual new supply. Because we know that the annual new supply automatically comes from the mines. They're price takers. They sell the entire production every year. Then there's a certain percentage of retail scrap, which is just people for various household reasons selling their gold. But then there comes a point, which, which is what Ronnie's specialty is, analyzing stock and flow uh, of the gold market, then all of a sudden you get into a situation where for people who are suddenly interested in buying gold in size, and what Egon said is that the gold market is not big enough. Gold market is big enough for any amount of money. It's a matter of price. Just like Picasso's. At $100,000 a piece, not enough Picasso's for everybody. At $100 million a piece, enough Picasso's for everybody. Right. So when we see the situation when institutional money comes in in size and now it's going to be a matter of getting somebody who already owns gold, institutional, or I mean, investment gold to sell it. That's where we're going to have the price discovery. That's you see, because otherwise, as long as physical demand is being satisfied with physical supply, they take the paper price and there's no pressure on that price. Now, there's some pressure, it's expressed through premiums and through markups right now, but not in a big way. I think that's really the issue. When institutional money wakes up, when large amounts of money, not just realize that they want gold, but they want physical gold, which is either wanting physical or wanting ETFs that have to buy physical when, when the inflows come in. When those volumes go through the roof, then we'll see it. I just saw that, um, I mean, it's a ridiculous number. In the first quarter, the ETFs, gold ETFs, added $28 billion worth of gold. I mean, $28 billion worth of gold in these trillions, zillion dollar capital markets, it's nothing. So there is no demand. I mean, let's face it. There is no big dollar demand. It's, it's like Egan says. I mean, we're seeing more of it, but it's mostly from people who were already there. And yes, it's, it's relatively, it's much more in my little world. But it's not like pension funds are calling and saying, we need to put $200 million to work or $300 million to work. Yeah, that will happen just like it happened in structured credit, just like it happened in a lot of other areas that are high yield bonds that I remember used to be a $300 billion asset class, a $200 billion asset class when I started in the business. Now it's a $2 trillion asset class. It's the same kind of thing. I, I think that's really where we're going to see the rubber hit the road. Ronnie, um, Ned talked there about um, ratios, you know, gold silver ratio, and some of the work you've done on this stuff is is fantastic. How do you how do you view whether it's oil gold, silver gold, commodities to the S&P, all these ratios, what are they telling us about where these prices lie, particularly in the mining stocks versus you know, historical norms? 
Um, well, first of all, I, I wanted to say, I think the main reason why the costs are coming down in the mining business are because mining exec executives cannot go on business travel at the moment. And <laughs> <laughs> I know how they roll. <laughs> so this is going to be a main, main factor for the first quarter. Um, but I think just coming back to the, to the miners, I think they will really be in the spotlight because there is only... Uh, very few mining, uh, very few stocks that are trading uh, above the 200-day moving averages now. They will show very positive earnings growth. They've got huge volume uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, just have a look at, at, at the charts of, of Newmont or Barrick. Yeah? You see that there's really big money going into those uh, uh, blue chip names. And you even see for the, for the juniors that, that some of them do tremendously well. So, so I think... Um, you know, it's, it, it's a great environment for, for, for the mining space. And we have to say that they did their homework in the last couple of years. So we have seen some creative destruction. They got their balance sheets under control. I think lots of positive things happened in the, in the mining space. So therefore, I think that the leverage on higher gold prices is probably higher than ever. I'm absolutely certain they will make the same mistakes like in the last bull market. Um, but for the next couple of quarters, I think it's going to be a great play to a place to be invested. When it comes to the to the um, uh, ratios, um, we, we're currently uh, uh, preparing uh, the next gold report. So we, we we crunch all the numbers and we did a um, roughly 400 years gold silver ratio. And actually, the gold silver ratio is at an all time high. So um, silver. Of course, it's 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 dirt cheap. Um, if you're bullish on gold, you should you should at least own some 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 silver. That's obvious. If you have a look at, at other ratios like um, uh, the S and P versus the commodity markets, uh, same level like in 2000 or in 1971. So, you know. I think that, and, and, and people question me, um, you know, where should all the demand come from for the commodity space? And I mean, just have a look what's going on. They, so far, they said, okay, there's going to be 10 trillion fiscal stimulus. Um, that's, that's roughly 10% of world GDP. And, and everybody who thinks that it's going to be a V-shaped recovery, I think is, 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 is living on the moon or, or working for the Federal Reserve, there's not going to be a V-shaped recovery. Um, so it's not going to be 10 trillion. It will be 20 trillion, whatever. And... And of course, all politicians will say, yeah, we have to do big infrastructure programs um, to, to, to stimulate the economy. And, and I just think that's a pretty positive case for commodities um, and, of course, also for inflation going forward. And, and, and commodities are probably the most hated asset class. I mean, remember a couple of, of, of months ago when everything was still okay, Everybody was just talking about ESG. I attended a conference, a big investor conference, and, and I, I looked through the program and 65% uh, of all presentations had ESG in their description. And I said, you know, when it's really going to get tough, um, people will say, okay, we prefer performance to, to ESG and sustainability. And, and I'm thinking, I don't know if, if they're going to invite me next year again, but... I think that, 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 that real assets like commodities, but also like the monetary metals are probably the, 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 the biggest profiteers from all the, the mess that we're in at the moment. Ned, I want to come back to you while we're talking about, uh, about mining stocks, mining companies. Um, you know, these are incredibly difficult things 
to trade to position, particularly in times like this. What what advice do you have for people as to how to think about putting on trays? Do you have to get comfortable and buy them and forget about them? Do you have to be nimble? How, how should people be thinking about trying to position themselves in these things if they believe that they're going to go higher? Yeah, well, um, two, two principal things. Firstly, realize they're a call option. So they're not the same as only physical. Physical is physical gold, in my view, and, and, and judging by central bank reserve assets, is the zero risk instrument of the system, kind of speaking to what Simon said earlier, really. Um, so physical gold is, is ground zero. It's the best way to say, whereas gold miners are um, uh, a call option observation on this and silver miners are even spicier. So, so recognize that the allocation probably ought to be with your own risk tolerance, uh, bearing that in mind. Um, beyond that, the most important thing, I think, is to realize that the, the idiosyncratic risk of individual mining companies is extraordinarily high relative to a group of them. Um, so I would never recommend you buy one or even three. Um, you know, obviously, I run a managed fund, but, you know, whether it was an index, you know, you don't need extra leverage. Don't, don't use borrowed money. Don't buy triple or double anything. There's, when this call option pays out, and let's be frank, we're talking about an open-ended call option wearing, when you own a gold and silver mining company. Now, if you own an open-ended call option that decays 8% per year and you hold it for four years and gold goes sideways, you're going to be quite annoyed you own it. But that's what it is. And so I think sizing the position um, relative to other assets, bearing in mind that's what it is, is my first point. And the second is, yeah, don't go, don't go all in on a few names. You'll get it wrong. Even, even, even very seasoned mining analysts get that wrong. But one thing I, I would say about Ronnie's comment about, about management, I mean, I know he's being slightly flippant and, and, I, and I understand that, but I would fight back a little bit on one, one point because it is what I said earlier. And I think it's, it's not understood well by the broader investing public, which is that that period when gold went up and gold miners did okay. Gold and silver miners, they were, they were wearing 15 to 20% annualized input cost inflation. It was a brutal operating environment. Now, okay, gold was going up 15 to 20 as well, but that's not an environment to deliver expanded margins. That's not an environment where you're going to get your call option style outcome. What you want is both elements moving away from each other. That's when you make the big money. And that's why I'm, I'm making such a big play about costs because, it, you know, when in the 2000s, you had, you had the dollar structurally weak. So the opposite of what I discussed earlier, you know, Aussie dollar strengthening like this against the US dollar. That's bad. You had energy just going wee like this. And you had a super cycle where contract miners, all the different things that go into mining were just getting more and more expensive. Um, so, so while there was a, there is some truth in the narrative about gold miners during that period, I think it's massively overstated. I think that they're not that different than other businesses. There are bad actors in all industry, certainly in banking, um, and, and frankly in other things as well. Maybe even in um, in, in in autograph. Um, you know, they're, they're, that's possibly true as well. Uh, it's not just in gold and silver mining, and I think that's an unfortunate narrative that Evie actually um, helped to uh, drive, thanks to a, a presentation at Mines and Money. But, um, but I don't think it's actually that true. I think, I think they, they got squeezed. They just got margin compressed for so long. Uh, and they made, so there were some bad acquisitions. There were some cyclically bad decisions made. But, um, you know, just remember, they're call options. Size it correctly. And for 
goodness sake, don't just own one or two small ones because you'll get it wrong. David, I want to come back to you. Um, can I just sort of say that they're cool yeah, options with, with a put as well. The put being, you know, when the, when the private jets get bought and, and the government comes in and steals the mine with a whole load of taxes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's happened before and there's no, there's no ruling out. But look, they, every, every way I think this through, I keep trying to find the way that this can be another false dawn. It, it, talk me through how this environment with all the money printing, with all the stimulus packages, is there a way that that can not ultimately be bullish for guys? Is something that worries you that this this almost dream scenario doesn't play out? Um, well, there's there's a, there's a few things there. I mean, I, I think if it, and it all comes down to the policymakers, and, and I, you know, we all find it deeply uncomfortable being in a situation where we, where we have to, as economic rational economic actors sit and guess what a bunch of faceless bureaucrats do in a closed room seemingly to make only themselves happy um but if, if one sort of rolls one's rolls rolls the clock forward and thinks okay maybe a new monetary system a new Bretton woods environment is not not possible because frankly the the economic collapse wasn't bad enough to provoke that then what do we look like? Well, we, we could all look like Japan, right? And in a situation where you know, there's 300% GDP, uh, debt to GDP in every, I mean, I mean, real jet debt, not just in, including all of the, uh, the sort of uh, long-term entitlements, like debt to GDP of 300% in a country, let's say like the United Kingdom. And, you know, there's just there's no productivity growth. There's no there's no economic impetus. We just end up with this sort of very flat in in you know economic environment for a long time. And I think that is not not an impossible outcome. Igor, anything that worries you? Time. That's my job. Yeah, there we go. We can hear you. We can hear you now. There we go. <laughs> so, but you know, David, um, I understand what you're saying about Japan, but sadly, that uh, is not the same because Japan is one country that had a problem, and the rest of the world keep, kept on buying their products. They could, they had a big export market, and they survived because of that, and combined with money printing. Now, you have, this is a global problem. The whole world is now in, 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 in despair because they have to print unlimited amounts of money and they'll be, they can't, they, and they're not going to be able to export themselves out of it because there'll be no buyers of their products. So it's a big, big difference. Therefore, we are not, in my view, going to be like Japan. Japan has always been waiting for, in my view, the Japanese economy has to disappear into the Pacific, in my view, um, and it's only a matter of time. And, and this crisis will lead to that because, I mean, it's, you know, the yen, should, will be worth nothing after this and the economy will suffer like many others. So, so well, yeah, well, what worries me is, is, of course, that, and I always said that, you know, to, to, uh, to clients and to people who said, yeah, you know, why doesn't gold go up more? And I, I said, you don't want gold to go up more because the time gold goes up the way we think it will do to the, to the levels we think it will do, you're going to have a different world. Now, you will not be in the world that you would like to live in. You're not going to have the quality of life that, uh, that you've had for a long time. 
So the world is going to change dramatically and it's going to be very, very bad and, uh, for, for most people, even the people who hold gold and, and as long as they can, you know, and it's not being taxed away or confiscated away, etc. Uh, and therefore, you know, you, you, are now, you, you are now going to go into a situation where everyone will suffer. Even the ones who maybe have assets that got more than than than, than um, uh, other people's assets, so, so so that's a real concern because and, and we can all sense it now. When you know, I don't know how many of you are in a Corona uh, lockdown. And I am in, in in the Swiss Alps, for example. You know, and okay, the quality of life here is fine. We can still get food, roof over our heads, but it feels like you are just in just in a vacuum. And I think to some extent. And, and uh, that's what's going to happen in the future also, but a lot worse because you will have the financial crisis, you will have the social crisis, you will most probably have, have social unrest also. So that worries me a lot. We are going to go into a quality of life uh, uh, that is going to be very, very different to what we have experienced in the last few years. So Simon, um, confiscation. Obviously, this was, this was done once before back in 1933 by FDR. Uh, you, having grown up in the Soviet Union, are familiar with confiscation of, of all sorts of different uh, varieties. Is is gold confiscation, uh, confiscation uh, something that people need to worry about, or is it something that in this day and age where people hold their gold overseas, and is it not such a big concern? I mean, it's a big concern. Uh, well, gold confiscation specifically, I don't know how big a concern it is, but expropriation generally of of assets, which may include gold, uh, is, is, is definitely a concern. And um, to that point, first of all, I, I agree with Egon. I mean, he's always more dramatic than I am in the way he expresses it, but that doesn't mean that I don't agree with the substance of what he's saying. Hyperinflation is, is, is basically is a confidence issue. It's, it's, a, it's a confidence-driven phenomenon. It's not, it doesn't matter whether the government prints this much money or that much money. Once people lose confidence in that money for whatever and start rejecting it, that's where you, you get into hyperinflationary situation. Now, in terms of the expropriation, well, look, everybody has to be very clear uh, with themselves uh, as to what they are prepared to do under a situation like this. The benefit of gold stored in neutral jurisdictions is that gold is physical. Uh, jurisdiction over physical assets is different than jurisdiction over financial assets. It's not nearly as global and as centralized. To repossess somebody's assets that are in Switzerland or Singapore or I don't know, wherever, wherever they are. Um, I mean, there's a process. It's like repossessing a house. There has to be a, uh, some sort of a due, uh, due process under the law. And so if the United States decides to expropriate gold, you know, how does, that, how does it do that to gold that U.S. citizens stored in some neutral jurisdiction that doesn't feel the same way about gold? And that's the thing about gold. There's a large diversity of opinion around the world as to uh, what gold represents and its value and the percentage of the population that owns it and how it pervades the banking system. Of course, Switzerland is where gold is very accepted. The United States is not so much. Where I'm leading with everybody has to be clear with themselves as to what they're prepared to do. The point of having it over there is that, yes, it may be safe from expropriation from your home government, but at some point, your body is not safe from expropriation from your home government. Are you willing and able and prepared to put a toothbrush and a change of underwear into a briefcase and, and get on the plane? That's, I mean, I'm sorry to be 
talking like that, but that's kind of what it boils down to. That's what I did in the Soviet Union. I mean, you just, well, you've lived it, right? Yeah, I've lived it. Yeah, I mean, they they let you take. Well, they didn't let us. They let us take more than a uh, toothbrush. You could have taken uh, six pairs of underwear, six pairs of you know six shirts, six something. Once you know forty pounds, as long as it didn't exceed forty pounds, you could take six of anything. Uh, you could even take five items of gold jewelry, not to exceed one hundred dollars in value each, which means like a wedding band, I guess, um, and a hundred dollars. So if you're prepared then to engage upon that road and have reserves pre-positioned and waiting for you somewhere else, it works. If you're not willing to do that, then you know, then maybe it doesn't work. Well, guys, we've we've run over the hours, gone. Uh blindingly fast once again. I'm, I'm going to go to each of you if I can for a, a closing thought, a closing piece of advice for people watching this, um, whether it's how to think about this, how to trade it, uh, what you think um, the potential things to watch out for. Uh, I'm going to go right to left. Uh, Ned, you first. Closing thought or, or a piece of advice for the people watching? I'm, I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier, which is that um, wealth managers all around the world and, and, and people running funds do not own this asset class at all. Their thinking is still, in fact, some of my colleagues think that it's all going to get better in, in six weeks and they're talking about their summer holidays and stuff like this. I mean, you know, people are not there with it, but there's going to be a massive rotation and it'll be driven by, by just visible earnings differential, certainly mining companies, you know, and I think it's true of physical as well, which is the thing, people are all sheep now. It's people who run your money, they, they, would, they just follow the herd. And when, it, when, when the cry wolf turns into performance versus other assets, we're there. It, 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 that's all that's needed. And that, that would be my, my, my closing comment. Uh, Egon, you're next. Okay. Um, yes. I, I, you know, we're talking about money here. And of course, gold is money uh, and the ultimate money and the only money that has survived. But nevertheless, you know, of course, everyone should have a bit of gold. You know, you can, you don't have to have uh, many kilos or, or, or tons if you're wealthy, whatever. But, you know, everyone can buy gold. You can buy a gram of gold every month for $50. And that's if the Argentinians had done that, they've done very well. But so save in gold whatever, to whatever level you can to preserve, to ensure yourself it was going to come. But then think about other values. I think the good thing with the crisis that's coming is that we will go away for all these, from all these monetary values and the golden calf. You know, we will start thinking about, you know, ethical and moral values have disappeared. I think they're going to come back. The family as the kernel of society will come back. And remember, most things in, in, in the world, uh, or a lot of things, are free. Nature is free. You know, music is free. Books are free. Good friends and family. You know, I, I think that's where what we will turn to a lot, a lot of us uh, when the bad times uh, come. So I think there will be benefits also, but in the meantime, people will suffer. So please have a little bit of gold in reserve there because that is the ultimate form of wealth preservation. I just, final word is we should have these more often because gold is up $30 now today. So clearly the world is listening at least to our advice here. <laughs> David. David, can you hear us? I think you're muted. Um, look, I mean, I think, I think um, the, the economic outcome, you know, could be very poor. It could be, it could be quite good, uh, depending on on how sense, sensible and and uh, I guess considered uh, the policymakers are. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily bet on on a fantastic outcome. 
given the track record not being that great. But in the meantime, you know, frankly, we've got to get through this medical problem first. So I think, you know, frankly, people just need to stay at home and be, be safe during, during this period. But I think during that time, frankly, a lot of what Egon, um, a lot of what Egon has said will, will naturally happen. You know, people will, will uh, sort of rediscover that they rather, they rather like playing, playing Cluedo with their kids rather than spending 250 bucks on a mediocre meal. And frankly, I think a lot of, a lot of behavior, depending on how long this, this period lasts, a lot of behavior will change and it could change for the best. So try and you know, take that out of it, really. Perfect, Simon. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. I think, first of all, uh, people should use this moment uh, to, because this is a gift in a way. It's a, it's a knock on the door uh, without the battering ram you know, knocking the door down yet. Just, it's, a, it's a very strong knock on the door. And the knock on the door, uh, the lessons from this knock on the door are few. One is that you can't buy insurance on a burning house. I mean, those of us in the gold business, okay, so Egon manages to get access to gold. I've managed to get access to gold during this period, but I can tell you, it's, it, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, refineries are way behind. And when you need it, putting hands on it is not necessarily uh, possible. So that's message one is, you know, you need to buy insurance when the need for it is not apparent. And be before the institutional money uh, focuses on it, I think there's a window of opportunity. The other thing is this is an opportunity to reassess what represents risk. In the financialized world that we've been living in for the past 40 years, risk has come to mean volatility or has to come to be identified with volatility. That is not investment risk. In, that's investment risk for levered people who get blown out of their trades due to volatility. It's not the risk for long-term real investors. The real risk for long-term real investors is impairment, which is the permanent loss of capital. Gold is an asset that doesn't have that risk. And so I think there's a window of opportunity here for those who can absorb the knock on the door, uh, correctly interpret it, and do something about it uh, before, uh, you know, events overtake everybody. I think what the, the path that we're on, we don't know the exact path. We don't know the exact shape or form that it takes. But I think the destination is pretty, is pretty clear. As I've told Ronnie many times, you know, the track record of fiat money systems and monetizations and hyper leverage, 100% failure. And the track record of gold is a store of value and real assets in general as stores of enduring values, 100% success. So it's just a matter of time and it's a matter of circumstances. Uh, but I, I think this is, this is an opportunity for those who, who can hear the, hear the call. Perfect, last of all, Ronnie, last but not least, my friend. <laughs> Well, I think from a kind of a political point of view, uh, we shouldn't forget that's the biggest interference, the biggest uh, intervention in our personal lives, in our business life, in our societies, uh, uh, in, in, in the economy that we have basically seen um, since the Second World War. So as a, as a libertarian, you have to be very alert. And, 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 and I think that the solution to, to, to the whole crisis will unfortunately not be more market, but more interventionism, more government, more central planning. And this is something that, um, you know, having uh, hung out uh, quite a lot with, with 
gentlemen like you and, and reading quite a lot is something that, that concerns me quite a lot. Um, talking about gold, I think, you know, um, I think Kirill Sokolov said it recently, all roads lead to gold. Um, that's like a perfect, perfect setup for gold. Uh, gold has hit at all-time highs in 62 currencies last year. And I think we will reach new all-time highs in dollar terms uh, very, very soon. I mean, that's, that's not a question of if, but, but just of when. Um, it's a very strong bull market. Bull markets are more fun than bear markets. That's one of the rules by Bob Farrell. Um, and we have to write this bull market, yeah? But on the other hand, um, of, of, of course, it is, it is something something the the whole macro environment that i'm seeing is is very concerning very concerning and 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 i think when it comes to central bank action big difference to 2008 it's going so much faster and 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 i think if they learned one lesson it is they have to act very, very quickly and very aggressively. Stephen Paulus, uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada, said a fighter, firefighter has never been criticized for using too much water. So we can rest assured that they won't uh, uh, print too little. It will be way too much at the end because they completely underestimate the the, the time lags of, 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 of their programs, yeah? I mean, in 2008, 2009, I think the Federal Reserve did 35 different actions until we have seen the lows in the S&P 500. So, um, yeah, we, we'll see how it's going to turn out. I'm, for, for gold, I think it's, it's a great environment. It is. We're seeing really lots of interest. Even my ex-girlfriend uh, called me a couple of days and, and said she wants to buy gold now. She hasn't called me for 10 years. So. <laughs> but it's also institutional demand. We're really seeing lots of interest. And, and yeah, it's going to be going to be a hell of a ride. Did, did she also want her journey CD back? Just that, just what? out of interest, a journey CD. That the gold may have been a Trojan horse, Ronnie. Just, just be careful. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, for me, the, the hard, the, you know, the hard thing about this, I think, for people, particularly trading stocks, is is to be in a bull market amidst a much, much broader bear market is a very difficult mindset to try and fine tune. You know, it's very difficult to be bullish about the asset class that you're focused on when all around you is is despair and every headline you read is poor but it you know it does it does feel to me like this is a great setup for for this bull market that we've kind of seen coming for quite some time and there's been many false dawns in in both the gold market itself and obviously the the uh the mining stocks but i mean I, it really feels to me as though the setup here has never been better um Gentlemen, I, look, I can't thank you enough. I know uh, for some of you it's late, for some of you it's early, um, and for some of you it's, uh, it's, it's cocktail hour. So everyone's got a reason to leave the call. Uh, my thanks to all of you. Um, I hope that we will all see each other physically at some point soon and uh, can share a glass of something and, and one of those nice meals that uh, Egon talked about and David talked about not having anymore. Hopefully you'll make an exception. Gents, thank you so much, and I'll see you all soon. Bye. Thank you. Take care.